I showed up. Nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. <laughs> You're listening to Ain't Nobody Listening on Oman FM. I'm your host, Abdullah Al-Ma'uli, and with me in the studio is Joe Sims, the one and only. Welcome to the studio, man. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me, Abdullah. So, where to start is the question. I, I have an idea. Uh-oh, I'm scared. <laughs> It's just surprising to me that you don't remember this, but maybe it will. you'll remember something. Do you remember when you first started stand-up comedy here in Oman? Yes. Uh, do you remember the event that High FM put together? Yes. And that was the first time you started? Yes. Okay, let me tell you all uh, uh, about Joe Sims and how he started stand-up comedy because I was there and I personally witnessed it. I think I must have been 17 or 18 years old at the time. So... <laughs> okay, I guess I wasn't. <laughs> 17 or 18 years old. So High FM put together an event uh, where they invited three comedians. Um, one was Nimr Abu Nassar. Uh, the other one was, do you remember their name? Uh, uh, Dean, Dean Obeidella. Yeah, I can never pronounce his Dean name. Dean Obeidella. Really nice guy, though. Yeah. I'm still in touch with him now. And then there was one, an Iranian guy. Forgot his I think name. he was Lebanese. No, that's Nimr. That's Nimr Abu Nassar. Anyways. Okay, yeah, then the Iranian guy was Amr Khan. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So this was going to be the first stand-up comedy show in Oman. And they got international comedians to come in. So these comedians, they wanted an opening act, right? A local opening act. So they decided to put together a competition to decide um, who the opening act would be. Uh, do you remember Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> you make it sound like I'm oldest saying. Because I remember I met you not too long ago. And you, you seemed like you couldn't remember the details so no, no, i couldn't remember you <laughs> i remember fair. all the details from fair that. enough fair enough fair enough so i actually applied and i remember being horribly bad i remember going in front of this room where there were a bunch of people auditioning and the judges and no one laughed at any of my jokes it was horrible i hope no one documented it and nothing ever happened um you auditioned and you killed it And so naturally, um, you are the opening act. So you're the first one uh, from Oman or someone who lives in Oman to, to actually go up and do a comedy bit. Can I give you a little behind yeah. the scenes? Yes. Okay, so the first show, mm -hmm. I'm backstage with the comedians and I know I'm going to go first. Yeah. And I'm a, a nervous wreck, right? And I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm set up at the door mm -hmm. waiting on them to do the announcement. And Dean comes over to me mm -hmm. and he tells me, he says, Joe, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Okay. And I turned to him. I said, listen. We both know that I'm your sacrificial goat. <laughs> you guys are putting me on stage so you can get a feel so for the audience. And you can right? look good. <laughs> and what does he say? He pauses. He's like, yes, this is true, <laughs> but it's going to be okay. <laughs> and I went on stage and did it. And it's actually, uh, there's a video of that performance on YouTube. Till today, we can find yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. On YouTube, it's uh, 1,001 Laughs. Yes. You know, the, the two nights that I did, the videos are on there. I actually... Uh, Don't watch the first night. Okay. <laughs> the second night is so much better because I was more relaxed. I knew what was going on. Mm. The first night, you can tell that 
this was my first time. Okay. I actually d- documented some of the behind the scenes. I, I remember I found an old email not too long ago. Uh, Azam, who was back, uh, backstage there, he actually saw this. Um, so I had a, a little um, um, analog uh, camcorder and I was able to go behind the scenes in High FM and document them as they do their interview. But that's besides the point. Oh, okay. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to tie these in. No, because I think what is truly impressive is the first local stand-up comedy show that happened here in Armand. If I'm not mistaken, it was in Dolphins, I think. But I know that you put it together. I can't remember the exact location. Well, I can share you a little more on that. Once I went through the auditions, mm. and I I was surprised to see how many people were interested in even giving it a chance. Yeah. So some of the people that were there, you know, I kind of reached out to them because I mean, okay, I wasn't a experienced, seasoned comedian. But apparently I'm better than you are. Mm -hmm. So I can share some of the things that I go through to try to put stuff together. And that's what formed Amon Comedy Central. Right. So that first comedian, the first workshops we were doing were at the Dolphin. Yeah. You know, because of events that I've done there, new to management. So their theater room every, I think, Monday night. You know, we met in there, and then our first couple shows was in the Dolphin Bar. So I was part of that crew, and this is the bit where you don't remember me being there, but I remember very clearly, I was this young kid, so excited to be invited in this adult venue with adults, (laughs) you know? And to be part of the first local stand-up comedy scene was, um, I, I would never forget that. Just... Uh, one thing that I remember, and I want to take credit for this. Okay? okay, credit is yours. Okay, you're the first stand-up comedy act in Armand. I give you that. However, in that first show that you put together, we were trying to decide who would go on stage first. And my, na- my name began with the letter A. So I went first. And it was just based on that. It was like, who, you know, let's, let's figure it out alphabetically. So I want to say, for the record... That in the first stand local stand-up comedy show in Oman, I went first. And the interview is done. We can all go home now. Thank so you, you for coming in. I really appreciate your time. That you could. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. And I was the only one to wear white socks. Here, I started it first, white socks. I remember you also had it in a competition format, so people had to clap to 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 signal. Yeah, yeah um, for best comedian in the show. I came second place, so I wasn't, but I wasn't as bad as the the first one. The first one, no one left. Well, I mean, you know, first place is better than last place, right? That's true. There you go. I remember the last. You got to take guy. a half. You got to take a half win when you can get a half win. I agree, but then I left the country. Uh, I went to do my bachelor's degree, but you continued. What was that journey like? Well, you have to understand that uh, comedy for me is not a business, mm. so to speak. It's more a hobby. So I still do workshops uh, once a week. I've been doing that for. I don't know, probably eight years. So there's waves of comedians that come through Mm. and then they disappear and a new wave of comedians come through and replace them. But one of the things I really enjoy about it is that I feel like I'm contributing to their development Mm -hmm. because a lot of people take, they come back to me years later and they tell me that the things that they've learned in comedy has helped them with business presentations. 
They know how to read their audience if they're losing their audience because they have dry material. So they break, do a joke here or there to liven things up again and then go back into their material. And it's led to some success that I'm really happy to hear about that when uh, the comedians come back to me. Did uh, you love stand-up comedy before that, um, uh, the 1001 Laughs event? I had never set foot on the stage. That was your first time ever, not just in Oman, but ever. Okay, there was one time <laughs> before that, mm. but we shouldn't even mention that time. <laughs> Why? Because it was one of those times that shouldn't be mentioned. But I feel like those are that's how everyone should begin. Isn't, isn't there a saying like the, the... Okay, put it like this. Yeah. That first time, I think there was 30 people. It was at Rock Bottom. Okay. And it was an open mic. And I decided, okay, I'm going to try this. And I stumbled and crashed and burned. Then the next show was 550 people at the Crown <laughs> Plaza. <laughs> and it was like a year or two years later that this happened. But sorry yeah, I sorry that. about that, guys. <laughs> I'm going to tell him now. Don't you ever call me again while I'm on the radio. <laughs> Uh, so so from 30 people burning and crashing to 550 people and killing it. And you were hooked. And and now you're responsible for the stand-up comedy scene here in Armand. Okay, I'll try to explain it like this. Mm. Okay, we were just talking about this in the break area. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've always been that guy that you hang out with and you always have a good time laughing and joking, mm-hmm. right? Since high school. But I've never had an outlet for that part of my brain. Right. But then once I was introduced to comedy, I now have an outlet for the things that I see on a daily basis. Mm. You know, I have to... <laughs> now my phone went off. Very important people here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think our phones are calling each other. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, so it was an outlet. Yeah, it's an outlet. I mean, my brain, I see things and mm-hmm. they they occurred to me as jokes. Right. But I didn't have an outlet for it, so it just kind of drops off. So it but felt natural. When I go on stage, yeah, it's it's really natural. There have been times where I have improved like 75% of my set. Wow. Because they tell me before I go up on stage, it's like, okay, Joe, uh, so-and-so didn't, you're supposed to do eight minutes. So-and-so is not going to make it. Mm. We need you to do 15. Right. And I walk up there. Okay. We'll just play it by ear. And then I come back off trying to write the stuff down uh, so I can use it later, develop it later, because it, it was improv on stage to fill the space. I'm guessing it's a totally different headspace when you go there prepared with your set of jokes versus going and just freestyling it. Or do you feel like you're accessing the same part? It's the same part. I just get a chance when it's prepared jokes. I just get a chance to polish it more. Mm. You know, when I'm freestyling, uh, let's say just using bullets and I'm making up the rest of the joke, mm. there are points that I may miss because I'm going through it, you know, off the top of my head. Whereas if it's a written out joke, then I can make those points in there and change the order of them. But when I go on stage, that joke is still just a bullet. Yeah. But the details are there because I've written it out. Yeah. Is there any merit or truth to the fact that a lot of stand-up comics uh, have uh, deep-rooted uh, issues, if you will, 
You mean like ROP issues? <laughs> Maybe. But I mean, like, there is this idea where stand up comics tend to be very sad people in their real life. Is there any truth? Because you meet a lot I, of people. Like, I just, I just watch stuff on YouTube, right? And here I am just sitting in front of a stand up comic. I want to know how much truth there is to this here, at least in a I would say zero. Really? Yeah, I mean, no, at least a like couple who have issues. Look at what we do. <laughs> I'm in Noza talking about. <laughs> I mean, look at what we do. Look at what my job is as a performer. Yeah, I am coming up here and sharing my thoughts to uplift an audience. Mm. To do that, there's an energy that I have to give out to the audience, right? And an energy that I receive. If you don't, if you don't clap then I don't feel the energy and the show could start taking a downturn. So the feedback, the interaction with the audience is very important. Yeah. That's why it's one of the few performance genres, I'm going to say, yeah. where the audience is close in. I want to see your facial expressions. I want to see, because people don't always laugh out loud in mm -hmm. this culture. But if I can see your body, <laughs> that means you either need to use the bathroom <laughs> or you thought my joke was pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, there is this direct feedback loop, the instant feedback loop that happens when you're on stage, where yes. a lot of the other performance arts, it's there might be feedback loop, but it's this, um, it's not, it's not instant. See, one of the things about comedy is it's one of the rare solo performance arts. Hmm. You have no safety net. There is no like I'm also an accomplished DJ. If I mess up in a DJ booth, I can pull out and let the song play again a little longer and then come in and mix in somewhere else. But in comedy, it's like, okay, Joe, here's the microphone. Turn on the light. Be funny for 15 minutes. Okay, you have whatever mistakes, you have to cover them. So this, I want to say hi, but I hope the ROP is not listening. This hi you get from performing, yeah. because of the risk of failure, the high is higher. Mm. You understand what I mean? Yeah. If I were in a band, I could mess up on the drum roll and the guitar will cover it. Right. So there's a safety net. But as a comedian, there is no safety net. You're putting yourself out there. You're taking solely taking the ultimate risk. Yeah. Do I bomb? And then how do I recover if I do bomb? Right. And, and if you bomb early, then it just sets the tone for the rest of uh, um, your set. No? Yes and no, because what I try to teach the uh, when I'm like in coach mode, mm. I try to tell my comedians, you should never go on stage without having an emergency joke in your pocket. Something that you know is going to kill. Something you know is going to kill. You know it by heart. You can drop it at any time. Mm. You know this joke so well that while telling it, your mind can think of something else. Yes. So if you have a heckler. Or someone interrupts you and throws your your train of thought off. Mm. You reach in your pocket. You pull out your emergency joke. While you're telling that, you can think about where you left off and how are you going to pick back up. Yeah. So that's, that's with that good, emergency, that's a really good tip. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's good. You see, the thing is, um, I'm a huge stand-up comedy fan. Huge. I. I, I 
honestly, I can credit stand-up comedy and getting me out of some of my darkest places. And no, this is no exaggeration. Uh, every time I look back at some of my worst place, I'm watching somebody. It's Bill Burr, it's the, uh, Dave Chappelle, it's, it's somebody, <laughs> you know, preferably somebody a little um, uh, with an angry point of view in life. <laughs> Okay, so you look for the angry comedians. Because you're feeling that rage within, and then they make you laugh with their rage, right? I, I, I love that. So I, I spend a lot of time thinking about it, but it's not based on any experience. And a lot of a lot of the things that I, a lot of theories that I have is all based on assumption. Uh, for, uh, for, forgive me if I ask you questions that may seem obvious, because you spend a lot of time thinking about this as well. Okay. And um, But um, do you remember a time when um, past that first show that you bombed and were not able to recover <laughs> no <laughs> of course you do no not at all i feel like that would leave an imprint in your memory yeah i tried my hand are you familiar with a comedian called ralphie may no okay look him up okay he's oversized comedian white guy mm. and gets away with black topics easily because okay. obviously he has the life experience mm. right but one thing that impresses me about him and he's passed away now but he still lives on in youtube mm. uh, one thing that impressed me about him was his ability to deal with dark topics that could potentially turn an audience off but he handles them so skillfully that you end up cracking up laughing, even though it's not politically correct. Right. Okay. So I thought, okay, I could do that. So I tried to do a show and I picked a dark topic and apparently it was darker than I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) And even though I took the topic and completely reversed it around, the audience couldn't really get past the topic. Is so it too dark for radio? I, I'll, I'll assume yes, just based on your reaction. Moving on to the okay. next thing. So, what was your next question? <laughs> What's your favorite uh, bit? or No, not your bit, but your favorite show that you absolutely killed and you felt like you were on the top of the world? Oh, okay. I'll pick this one just because it's the first one to pop into my head. I did a show in Abu Dhabi, hmm. and I was performing with a group up there called Yellow Laughs. Yeah, I heard of them. Yeah, whenever hmm. I'm in, back then when I could travel, you know, whenever I'm in town and they have shows going on, hmm. that I would pop down and perform with them. And nobody knew me. They hadn't really heard me perform yeah. They knew I ran a club down here, so I must have some chops at it. Right. And they just put me up on stage. Right. I was I'm usually the closer, but they had me closing the first half of the show. Mm. I'm like, okay, all right, I can rock with that. But once I finished my set, <laughs> they were cracking up laughing. It felt good because it was a whole new territory. Mm. You know, nobody knew me. And if I were to stay in town, that show would have created my reputation. Yeah. It would have started people talking about me. Well, we're going to head out on a quick break. But when we come back, I'd love to spend a little bit more time on stand-up comedy. Something that I am absolutely obsessed by. And I am so honored to have a stand-up comic with me, honestly. (laughs) But we'll be right back. The Nation Station. 90.4 FM. (laughs) 
and we're back you're listening to ain't nobody listening on oman fm with me is joe sims comedian founder of titan events question tell me if the title of the show yeah is ain't nobody listening yeah then why are we here it's just for me and it's for my benefit <laughs> really thank you for <laughs> it just dawned on me as you were saying it. ain't nobody listening <laughs> So why are we here? Did you just realize that that's the name of the show? No, you told me beforehand. <laughs> but now that you say it like out loud in stereo in these headphones, it seems more real. You, you know, you know where the name came from. I, I, I can tell you a little bit about it. It's um, so when we first came into the station, we I really believed that nobody was listening to it. <laughs> This is one reason. Uh, second reason, I I am riddled. Uh, I'm filled with anxiety. Okay, and the idea of there are people out there listening to me was not helping me. So I thought I'll just name my show "Ain't Nobody Listening," and I truly believe that nobody is listening, and it worked. Uh, the thing is, we've been doing the show for many months now, and uh, the title of the show is uh, I don't know. Uh, kind of stuck. Yeah, it's just it is what it is now. Okay, I'm gonna tell you a little background on me. Yeah. Okay, I have done radio broadcasting. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in high school. On my high school had a radio station and when i first started broadcasting on the station because i was the wild zany character with the top show mm. the surprising thing is i didn't feel like anybody was listening either mm. because i'm in this soundproof you know booth mm. talking yeah. and spinning we actually had the dj then you know and all i remember is my anxiety of facing the microphone and it had an orange foam ball on top of it okay <laughs> and that's what even when i think back to those days i remember the orange the ball. orange foam ball <laughs> that sat on there if i knew the story i would have got you an orange but it took foam it ball. took me a while but then i started to realize and then mm. they gave me some formula and although we were a little tiny station of 10 watts mm. The way they position our antenna, we, meet, we reached most of San Francisco and Oakland. Yeah. So I had a listening audience for my show of like a million. Wow. And that was like 17 years old. That is crazy. I don't <laughs> think we would ever reach a million. It's like... <laughs> What? Us here. Really? You covered the whole country. <laughs> yeah, but consider that we're a country of four point something million. And yeah, 25%. That's all you need to reach. 25%. That's achievable. There you go. Yeah. Okay. We'll hit the 25%. Back to comedy. Yes. Okay. Back to comedy. <laughs> Who are some of your influences? I have favorites, but I don't really have influences. Hmm. I don't model myself after any particular comedian. Uh, I even try to avoid watching some comedians because I have found that I pick up some of their mannerisms mm. when I go on stage. Um, my topics tend to be more nationality neutral. Okay. Meaning no matter where you're from, you can relate. So relationships, uh, family, children, job, travel, things that no matter what your nationality is, you can relate to these things, mm. you know, especially relationships. Yeah. You know, the, the ups and downs of relationships is just comic fodder. Everybody can relate to that. Yeah. With them. And I can see why you would, you would do that considering, you know, you're an American, you're living in Oman, you got to find uh, material that uh, people from different nationalities can relate to and not just Americans. Yeah. Because some jokes can be very American. 
You know, you know. Well, it's really because of the diversity of our audience. Mm. You know, when we have 50 people or 100 people for a show, mm. it's going to be so diverse because it matches the diversity of our community. Right. I have to pick topics that relate, that are relatable to everyone that showed up. Yeah. You know, and then I also try to avoid, um, let's say, bashing a nationality. Mm. Like, I went to the Philippines once. Well, actually a couple times. And I came back with a lot of Filipino jokes. Okay. But I had to be very selective because I only wanted to joke about things that were true. Right. You know, not open to interpretation. Yeah. Like, I'll give you an example. They have the Mall of Asia there. Huge mall. Largest mall in Asia, right? When I walked in the door on a Saturday afternoon, as the joke goes, I was amazed at how many people were there. And I could still see all the way through the mall, out the back door, into the parking lot, and that there was a space on the third aisle. Because I never felt tall anywhere else. <laughs> but here, it was like, where did everybody go? Look down. Oh, there you go. All right, my bad. But it's based on fact, not yeah. open to interpretation. So right, you can right. laugh and it's not insulting yeah. to the nationality right. because this is a portion of my audience, too. So I don't want to turn them off. Yeah, there's a whole thing right now happening in the stand up comedy world with um, yeah, being politically correct. And um, I don't support himself. that. Yeah, I don't support that. Let's go back to uh, Kevin Hart. Right. Kevin Hart and the Oscars. And he, one of the greatest opportunities in his career is taken away because of jokes he did Mm. that were popular years ago. And you're judging content from six, seven years ago by today's standards. You know, that's how is he supposed to go back and change how he felt about that joke? It worked because he's made it to the point that he's being considered for the role. So it's getting so out of hand that, you know, I I don't know what it's going to do. Do you, is that does that weigh on you when you're currently writing your jokes? No. Do you think about that? I don't care. I don't have a career. This is my hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I've had people I come off stage and I've had people tell me, "Well, you can't say that." And it's like, "Look, I do stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. When I go up on stage, I can say anything I want to make you laugh. Mm-hmm. If you were the only one that didn't laugh, I'm sorry. It's a you problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. What's the other guy? Uh, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. So here's the lesson. They're going to be pissed if you do. They're going to be pissed if you don't. Just do a good show. (laughs) There you go. That's the bottom line right there. Uh, Yeah. So I've attended a couple of your shows. Um, Not too long ago, I I attended one. Um, And I wonder, what is your process? Um, Are you just walking around and a joke hits you? Do you sit down with a pen and paper and and try to come up with jokes? How do you go about it? All of the above. Yes. Okay. Sometimes it hits me when I'm walking through the mall or at the grocery store or even on the work site. I'll see something and I'll see a partial joke. I mean, jokes don't come complete. Right. You either get the setup or you get the punchline and then you just have to work up the rest of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I I saw a guy at Sieb City, a kid at Sieb City Center once. And he had on those, you know, the shoes, the flashy LED shoes that squeak. And I'm watching him run around, run around, run around. And then eventually he just plopped down on the floor, staring at his feet. His mother was calling him. He wouldn't get up. She had to come get him. And then it occurred to me that that's a punchline. 
I had to figure out how to do the setup. Interesting. What would the setup be? By the time I got pushing my cart from Carrefour, by the time I got to my car, I had to find some paper to write this down. Hmm. And the, the, the setup is, you know, they buy these kids these LED, flashy, squeaky, noise-making shoes, but no one explains it to the kid. Then you carry them into the mall from the car, <laughs> And you set him down in the mall, and now that he starts walking, the reason he's looking at his feet is like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> he's running around and stomping because he's trying to get it to stop. <laughs> and when he finally gives up, he just pops down in the floor. I'm not moving anywhere until this stops. So mother is calling him, calling him. Nope, he's not moving. Yeah. This is what's going on in the thought bubble in his head. Okay, this is a great example. So... I imagine you wouldn't get the setup right on the first go. It's like, okay, you have the idea of the punchline. You're trying to figure out the setup. Do you try out your jokes uh, and, and try different setups to see what works best with an audience? No. One shot, go, you laugh, you laugh, you don't cancel. Yes, you get a feel for your jokes, but our, our market here is too small right, to yeah. publicize a joke. Once I take a joke on stage, I have to retire it for at least three months. At least because everyone months. already <laughs> because the same audience, right. you know, 50 percent of the audience is mm -hmm. reoccurring audience. Yeah. So I can't do the same joke. Whereas, uh, let's say Abu Dhabi and mm -hmm. Dubai, because there's so many people in so many parts of town, a comedian up there can come up with a joke. We can come up with a set and use that same set for two or three months, mm. repeating it over and over again. But he's going down to Abu Dhabi to do it, or he's in Bur uh, Dubai or Dara. Or a different or, club or a different Different location. parts of town. Yeah. You know, we don't have that. We're a much smaller community. Yeah. So once we publicize a, a joke, then it's done. Well, this is a great segue into your own events. Uh, so you you put an event together once every month. If um, yes, yeah, could you tell me a little more about that? When did it start? How is it going? When we came out of COVID, I had a lot of jokes in my head. <laughs> so we started back up, uh, and now we've moved back to our home venue where we actually started, mm. and that's the Radisson Blue in Alquare. Okay, and every third Saturday of the month. We do a comedy show there, 7 p.m. So you can also go to Oman Comedy Central on Instagram, uh, Oman Comedy Central on Facebook, and you'll find the postings for the events that are going on there. So not only the events, but you also train comedians. Yes, I do. If there's anyone interested, and as I recall, you were in our training session. Only and uh, now I'm just I'm still your thunder. 2017. So <laughs> you received some training because I was talking earlier yeah. about how beneficial it is to ah. business. So you received a few months training all those years ago and you went to school to study what um well the first thing i studied i canceled that okay uh, business it just business it just for one year and now we find you at the radio station broadcasting do you see a connection here i see you taking credit for I, my career oh well thank you very much for giving it <laughs> 
because you have no formal training at this other than the time you spent in the workshop. <laughs> sure, I'll take it. Okay, you I'll know, take it. <laughs> you know what? We'll go out on a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to have Talal al-Shahri, Director of Specialized Channels here at the Ministry of Information, to join us in the studio because he was one of your students. He, he took a class with you. Yeah, he's attended a couple classes yeah. and he's still on our active role, but yeah. I just can't get him away from the studio to like you know yeah he's actually performed with us also uh, I, I i saw a recording of it i, I hate to say it he did very well <laughs> he had a good teacher <laughs> well, i'll take some credit for myself you're taking everyone <laughs> i started it you brought that up <laughs> yeah it did we'll be right back this is oh my fm We're back. You're listening to Ain't Nobody Listening on Oman FM. With me in the studio is Joe Sims. Thank you. Thank you As well as Talal Al-Shahri, Director of Specialized Channels at the Ministry of Information. I'm a little worried that he's here with us because I don't know what he's going to say, but but thank you for accepting my invitation. May I remind you that you are the one who asked me to come. Yeah, I know. And, and I'm just, I'm worried. I'm just worried. Yes. But the reason why you're here is because you got some training under Joe Sims. I did. Uh, to do stand-up comedy. And I watched that and um, it, it was good, man. You, you say that so begrudgingly. Yeah, because you're good at so many other things. Do you have to be good at this as well? He's jealous. <laughs> okay, well, first off, I can't give credit to Joe mm. because I'm just naturally talented. MashaAllah. But uh, no, I remember the first time I showed up to one of his workshops mm. and it was really interesting the way he does it. You know, there's games, there's uh, improv bits. He, he has everyone and everyone can give their feedback, but at the same time, you have to show love. You can't just be mean to each other. You have to help each other improve without stepping down on people. And that was a very good aspect of his workshop. Very creative as well. You know, like you'll have a bag with random pieces inside we had the most random <laughs> things inside that bag he can probably give you a list of stuff and you have to make jokes about it what's in and the you bag have like 30 okay. seconds to figure it out okay what he's referring to is what we call the improv box okay okay so what we do is our comedians we use some um post-it note mm. and you're supposed to write a person place or thing on the post-it note and then we fold it closed sticky side closed okay and it goes in this box so at the beginning or end of the workshop everyone pulls a piece of paper mm. so you don't know what mm. it's going to say and it's not one that you wrote because there's a bunch of them in there so when you do reveal what's in it you have 60 seconds to think about it figure out a bit and then you go up on stage and do three minutes of stand-up it's like eminem and elbow moisturizer figure it out from there <laughs> do you remember what you got i don't well i do believe eminem was actually on mine but uh, i'm not sure but he also have a bag with items in it very random <laughs> items what's yeah. in the bag what's, well i can't tell you in, in the, the bag, bag? <laughs> because there's you know other comedians might be listening oh, okay, i can't okay, give sure. it away trade secrets but that one is again an improv exercise mm. because you have to pull something and then go on stage which we do have a stage mm. you go on stage and you do a sales commercial for whatever commercial. it is you just pulled. 
You're really good at those. Sales you might not even know what it is. Mm. You pulled it. It's in your hand, but you yeah. have no idea what it is. You got to go sell it for three minutes. Whatever it may be, you sell it. Yes. So is that where you came up with the camel car wash? The camel car wash. Probably. Probably <laughs> took inspiration from uh, Joe. We have these fake ads. Well, well, well. We're going to play right now. Yeah, okay. The Hits Camel Express Wash, bringing you the latest services and technologies for washing your camel. We'll have your camel in pristine shape and we will treat them with ultimate respect. Only the best and the latest at Bahid's Camel Wash. Camels not sold separately. We have that. We have uh, Jinni Busters, which is a play off of Ghostbusters, where we have exorcists who deal with your Jinnis and you get like 20% discount off until Ramadan comes in when you no longer need the services. <laughs> Hearing strange voices at night? Is your cousin possessed? Do you think your house might be haunted? Jinni Busters has got your back. Exorcist services 20% off until Ramadan. Who you gonna call? Jinni Busters! Just so you know, um, <laughs> the reason why in Ramadan you no longer need the services is because it's believed that... Uh, uh, the devils are locked up. In Ramadan. Yes. So you don't need the service. So it's time. vacation season. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. So right. anything bad you do in Ramadan is your fault. You can't blame it on... These are devils. Uh, so we also have one, like a fake language center, which we're working on right now, where you can learn how to speak the language of Wasta, or learn how to talk to your cows and camels in the local languages, or learning how to answer people's aid questions like uh, what do you say after that? You know, we're, we're going to create a full-tech language center. Yeah. <laughs> and so thank you, Joe. Yeah, you may take credit for that probably. Because it's yeah. true. Now that I think about it, Joe, a lot of all these bits came after the training. A lot of things lot. came after the training. A lot of, yeah, okay. all these bits came after So what, if training. I have a baby, it's going to be thanks to Joe? Okay, all right. All right, right. If you have a baby, it has nothing to do with me. I'm going officially on the record, okay? Officially on the record. You're going too far there. But I will say I crashed that my car, so it's your fault. Because I crashed it after the comedy workshop. I don't know. Is there any insurance payout? Yes, that's Okay, then it's my you're, fault. You can give it over to me. And yeah, that'll be now just I have to buy a new car and I'm back in debt again. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> so what I was going to say is that these uh, improv exercises work under a theory. Hmm. Okay, I have a theory that there's a part of the brain that does improv mm -hmm. and we have to exercise yeah. it. So the more you do these type of exercises, the easier it becomes for you to pick up jokes and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's done several, you know, sessions with this. Wouldn't surprise me if he can just start, you know, on the fly making stuff up because mm -hmm. what happens in our normal life, we're never challenged like that. Yeah. This is unique for our style of performance and it helps make a better comedian because if you get thrown off or distracted on stage or somebody says something, you need a witty comeback. Right. And this is improv. And under my theories, it comes from that part of the brain. I can see that. Also, it's very relevant to being a radio presenter and doing a live show on a daily basis. Do you notice any overlap with that, Talal? Definitely, because one of the main jobs on the radio is to keep the listener hooked. Mm. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to be entertaining. You know, it's harder to keep someone hooked with serious topics. Uh, so in between, we try to throw in jokes. We make fun of ourselves. Or we make fun exactly. of situations. And improv, again, one of the top skills that you could use. And comedy and comedy workshops are a great way to learn that. A lot of people, famous actors, actually, some of the biggest actors out there, started off in improv classes. Mm. And they just built their skills off of that. 
Yeah. And then you have we have uh, these guys who run the show called Sunset Drive, Chase and Bubba Yu. And whenever... <laughs> Why are you laughing? It's not funny. Yes, it is. <laughs> Chase is the dog from Paw Patrol. And I'm still trying to figure out what Bubba Yu stands for. But it I sounds just... like a university. That's what, that's what hit me. I'm like, who went to school dead? <laughs> but the thing is, so, so Bubba is an amazing freestyle rapper. And um, I, I, I don't do that at all. But whenever I hang out with them and I try, it, I don't know how to explain it, but I almost literally feel a part of my brain tingling that I never feel before. Mm -hmm. It's like it, it, you, you activate a part of your brain that you're not used to touching. And I assume that's what's happening with, yes. with, uh, with improv. Yeah, I, I want to join. When is the next one happening? Wednesday night. This Wednesday? Yeah, every Wednesday night. Now it's seven for people that get off late from work. Okay. Just tell them, tell them that I'm here. Hey, yeah. I didn't say anything. I just said something. <laughs> I haven't been in weeks, months, actually. Yeah, I was so. going to say, once you divide that by four, yeah. <laughs> it becomes months. Uh, and look at me. I'm already this funny. <laughs> I don't need that much. Work. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll tone it down. No, I did learn a lot, and it has helped me quite a bit uh, yeah. with this. I, initially, actually, before Joe... I started learning uh, improv through something called Table Topics from Toastmasters, which started off uh, back in uh, the, y, the YMCA. Yeah, okay. they started it there. I have to do the dance <laughs> to remember the letters. <laughs> the letters. So the YMCA, yeah. and it became like a humongous club that goes across the world that teaches you how to speak, public speaking. Mm. And they have this, this bit called Table Topics where you also get to choose out of a bowl, and then you get one minute, then you have to make a three-minute speech about the topic you're given. But it's more serious. Meanwhile, with Joe, you have to make it funny. So it's not just talk and talk in a good way, but you have to make people laugh, which I feel is a lot harder. You, you have to make your peers laugh. All yes. of the others who are there also to learn this. So yeah. I'm, I'm guessing they're going to be very generous then because they want people to laugh at theirs. No, <laughs> if you can make this room laugh, you'll kill it on really? stage. Because you're you're in front of an audience of comedians, yeah, or want to be comedians. So, well, let's say comedians, even yeah. if they want to be, you yeah. know, to to uh, qualify for the workshop, because there is like a little test, but it's only to tell if you have a sense of humor. Because I can't mm. teach that. You come in, you do three minutes, and we're just looking at. We're not looking at body language or structure, but your topics. Do you know what's funny? If you do, then we can work with you. Um, I imagine also it would be very dependent on style of comedy because there are certain comedians, if you just take what they said, it's not really funny inherently. It's all about delivery, no? So then <laughs> wouldn't that be dependent on what kind of comic you are? Well, you just hit, you just hit on a topic that uh, it's very difficult for me as the coach not to create many means. Mm. You understand what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Whatever my style is, I'm not teaching that. I have to look at the individual style and develop them within their parameters of comfort. So when you do come see a show, you see different styles, but it comes from them. So I have to develop them as individuals as opposed to a group of clones mm. that come up and do the same type of comedy, the same topics throughout the whole show. Yeah. So everyone has to be themselves to be comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. Um, is it okay to ask how much it costs? Yes. 
Tuition is 950,000 real. Sounds reasonable. But we have a discount going mm-hmm. on for the next 20 years. Very generous. Where is free entry? <laughs> <laughs> nice. It is free. I can vouch for that. It's free. And if people want to find out how to get there, they just head over to your Instagram. Yeah, Instagram at? or Facebook. Instagram at uh, Oman Comedy Central Oman or Comedy Facebook Central. at Oman Comedy Central. And you can message us Would it also be there. Oman Comedy Central on Twitter? No. What is it there? Nothing. <laughs> so the Talal... Um, no, it's actually nothing on Twitter. Just N-O-T. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. And anything we want to say before we say goodbye to you? And then we'll continue. Well, I would just like to say that I have... It's an, been an honor to be training under uh, the longest wannabe comedian. <laughs> He's been the wannabe comedian now for 20 years. He's broken the world record. And I'm just... It's an honor. I... It's amazing. It actually is great to work with Joe. He's a great coach, great tutor, very creative, very smart, very good workshops. Maybe not the smart part. Uh, he, he even raised his eyebrows there. He's yeah, like, I smart? Thought, really? I thought I was going to get an invoice for services after this. Like, shoot, I'm going to owe him money. It's yeah. already free. <laughs> do, but yeah, do check out uh, Arman Comedy Central. There's some great comedians over there. Armani's residents. We have people from India, Pakistan, America. There's yeah. a really cool group of people. The shows are great, and they happen once a month, as well as comedy workshops every single week, which are really fun. And again, they're only for people who actually want to be in it. People can't just show up mm. and watch the workshop. You have to want to be Fair. in it. Yeah, Absolutely. that's one rule we have. You know, we're not in a spectator gallery. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. Yeah. You, you, you can't come. Well, you're not qualified. I just want to come watch. Yeah, no. The- okay, <laughs> you can watch from across the street. <laughs> Close the door. Well, thank you so much, Talal. We're going to head out on a quick break. And when we come back, I would love to maybe steer away a little bit from comedy and just talk about uh, why I'm on. We'll be right okay. back. On your nation station, 90.4 FM. You're listening to Ain't Nobody Listening. With me in the studio is Joe Sims. My pleasure. OG comedian in Oman. I mean, verified. I was there. I witnessed it. (laughs) I witnessed it. But uh, I guess now I want to talk about why you even came to Oman in the first place. When was that? I don't remember. Really? (laughs) It's been too long. Roughly? Uh, I think, according to my daughter, I've been here almost 20 years. Okay, so that would make it uh, math. Two thousand two. That's a long time ago. All right, I was twelve at the time. Okay, I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't really a choice. It's not like I looked at the globe and picked out Oman. It's like, oh, I never heard of this country. Let's move there. Was that the primary reason? Never heard of this country. Let's move on. Not at all. (laughs) Why? Why did you move here? I was working for, I was an IT project manager Mm -hmm. for a company called Sprint Communications out of the U.S., and they had gotten a contract here. Mm -hmm. And I was working a contract in Hungary. And so when I was on vacation, they tracked me down. I don't know how they found me. I had to ask. And it's like, well, I asked your girlfriend. How would you even get her number? Mm. Anyway, so they called me on vacation and telling me they want me to go to Oman. I'll tell you how the phone call went because it was, like, funny. Okay. It was like, Joel. We need you to go to Oman. I was like, why? 
Well, we're doing a site survey and we want you to take a look at the site from a project management standpoint. I'm like, okay, what are we doing in Amman? What what are we doing in Jordan? You're like, uh, no, no, not Amman, Oman. So I pause for a minute and I'm like, okay, I give. Where is that at? <laughs> and when they told me the Middle East, I'm like, uh, you know, I didn't bring the right clothes. <laughs> You know, for the Middle East, because it was snowing up in New York where I was. I was like, I didn't bring the right clothes for the Middle East. You know, they're like, okay, buy clothes. And when you come here, we'll reimburse you. I was like, yeah, but, you know, then I have my plane ticket going back to Europe. Okay, bring that. We'll reimburse that. Uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'll look into flights. I'm stalling for time. Yeah. I'll look into flights and see what I can get going down to Virginia. And this is when he shut me up. He said, we've already booked you a flight. There's a car that'll be picking you up in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to Oman. Considering that that was 2001, 2002, I can see your hesitation, right? I mean... No. Well, okay, yes, but Oman has always been an oasis in the Middle East. The mm -hmm. problems back then, I didn't realize it till living here for a little while. The problems back then is that CNN and the other, you know, world news agencies, they would start off any problem in the Middle East started off with a banner turmoil in the Middle East. Yeah. So it kind of labeled all of the countries of the Middle East, especially as, during that period. Yeah. It was like post 9-11 at the time. So exactly. It, it, the, the Middle East did not look good. PR. We had a lot of PR problems. Yes. Yeah. So I could see your hesitation, but then you're stuck. You had to go. Yeah. But I was convinced that, look, it's only for 10 days. Yeah. And then I found out that secretly they were planning for me to come down here as the uh, project manager. When did you find that out? Uh, in the middle of the trip. <laughs> in the middle of the trip, we were meeting with the client and the client asked, you know, who was going to be managing this project if we get the contract. Mm -hmm. And the other three engineers are with me or were pointing at me across the table. And I look at them like, oh, wait, hold on. Oh. <laughs> then realize I'm in front of the client. Uh, can we get back to you on that? <laughs> you know. But I was left in a very good negotiating position, you know, when they, we start talking about it and the, the package mm. coming down, I, I made a couple points to them that put like some more money on it. I said, you do realize that they have camel parking here at the stores, right? <laughs> you do realize that. And you want me to move down here. They said, OK, listen, we need your experience there. You know, OK, but think about it. Camel parking, okay? And it's like pay the guy more money. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> the figure they came up with, I'm like, okay, I'll be here in a month. <laughs> I'll be coming back. Yeah. And I came back down. And I've been very happy here. When you came here, you realized that a lot of people look like you. <laughs> that caused some problems, you know, when I first arrived. You look like at least a couple of uncles. I, <laughs> It's one of those, I, there have been times, I'm switching back to comedy for a minute, yeah. there's been times where I wasn't sure where to start my mm. show, mm. and I go up on stage and I just stare out at the audience, and then I say, I know what you're thinking. Is he Zanzibari Omani? <laughs> and then they all crack up laughing, because it was what they were thinking. Yeah. Well, but then, 20 years later, what kept you here? <sighs> well, it definitely wasn't COVID. Yeah. 
I think the best way to explain that is opportunities, you mm-hmm. know, because of the time that I put in and the reputation that I have in the community that my company has established in the community, it becomes really difficult to pull up everything and move somewhere else. Yeah. You know, during COVID, I had a discussion with my brother and he was suggesting that I move back to the States because they pay big money for what I do. I'm pretty good at my job. But I was explaining to him that it would take me three to four years coming back broke, sleeping on your sofa. It would take me three to four years to get to the market standing that I have here. Right. I know that when COVID opens back up or when we open back up from COVID, my phone will start to ring again. Right. We're over there. Nobody knows my start name. from scratch. I already have a reputation here and we're back to work. You know, mm. it's not what it was immediately pre-COVID, but it's allowing us to pay off some of our debts to get Mm. the company stabilized as we diversify and grow. Yeah, because that's the first thing that got hit. Even before all the lockdowns began, events were shut down. It started the day the Sultan died. Yeah. He, the 40 days of mourning, we had to shut down all events. We came out of that and we were open for like 10 days before we were shut down for covid restrictions i had an event also at that same time that got canceled and then that was it for the next three years yeah we had to find other means of income Mm -hmm. (laughs) during covid yeah anything you can talk about we train dogs oh yeah people still love their dogs you train dogs yeah interesting my daughter is a trainer i mean i'm glad i paid for it when she was a kid she trained horses she was very animal oriented Mm. So once we uh, ran out of money, so to speak, you know, we started looking at other ways. So we created another company, Golf Resources International, that did disinfection products, more of a business to business, because Titan Events wasn't something I could do anything else under. Right. So that's taken off, too. So now we have both companies operating. Your daughter moved here pre-COVID? Yes. Right. Uh, like a year and change before COVID. Yeah, so I remember meeting her at the can, uh, stand-up comedy show. She also does stand-up comedy, and she's pretty new at it. Yeah. Yeah. And how has that been, having her here? Oh, my man, listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, no, 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 it's, it's okay. an observation going on. Any parent out there listening mm. that deals with their adult children on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. I see my DNA in her. And I'm blessed to be this close to her, you know, at this age. But I see where she gets some of these mannerisms, skill sets. You Example? Know. Okay, comedy. Yeah. Who can just pick up and do comedy? Right. Right. Where she's at, uh, let's say, business development wise or operations wise, I see the mistakes she's making because they were the exact same mistakes I was making in the early part of my career. So when I sit down with her to explain, I can actually explain what's going on in her mind, her thinking. Mm. You can relate. I can relate and I can get her to relate Mm. because we have the same process, a similar process. But it also gives me a lot of confidence in her because I know how her mind works, that if I'm not there, her decisions are going to be within this range. Right. The apple doesn't fall too far Far from from the the tree, tree, right? How many kids do you have? I have 20. No, I'm just (laughs) (laughs) 
too much. I have three kids. Three kids. Yes. Oh, where are the other two? Uh, I have one in Seattle. My son. My he's the youngest. His name is Ryan. Okay. And I have a daughter in uh, New Orleans, and her name is Ashlyn. So Shannon is my middle child. Okay. And you are originally from where in the U.S.? New Orleans? No, I'm originally from Oakland, California. Ooh, California. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed. Why? Yeah, I don't know. You give me New Orleans vibes. Just because I said New Orleans last. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm picturing jazz. I'm picturing, I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. I wasn't a surfer boy, you know. I, I, that's, I, I don't have... Just because California, <laughs> you know, we have the beaches and all this. You know, because you hear... I don't know if it's going to be politically correct, but I guess it leads back to ain't nobody black people. We don't really like the water. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can say, well, Joe, that's not political. But look at the Olympics. You know, we don't like the water. But see, here's the reason. Hmm. Because we tend to have a a heavier muscle density. It's harder for us to float. (laughs) (laughs) No, we can float. But it's harder for us to float. I never heard that reason. You look at look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. It's true to form. It's true to form. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. But if you look at the Olympics, you know, the diving, water polo, uh, the the race where they swim relay races, it's mostly white people. And That's it's, true. It's because hmm. our body makeup is different. Hmm. Sports that involve a short burst of energy is where we excel. So basketball, track and field, you don't see so many white people in there. But but then you have long endurance uh, competitions like running. And it's specialized to Africans, right? Yeah. Okay. Because they're mail carriers. You know, they run. That's their main form of transportation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I know, I know, I know. These are observations you end up making as a comedian. Uh, yeah, observations, not facts. Let's just note. No, that that one is a fact. Oh, there you go. Here's the muscle fact. density. Hmm. That's why we excel at basketball. Right. There are di- okay. Put it like this. Okay. I'm a bit skeptical. People, I must say. I know. Once yeah, you get yeah. off the air, you're gonna go look it up. You okay. Can do it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There are some physical differences between black and white people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and because i've you know i I don't care i like all people yeah but i have noticed these things over the years like give me an example uh my ex-wife was a dentist Mm -hmm. and black people's teeth dark-skinned people teeth tend to grow deeper into the jawbone so they have to schedule more time if they have to pull a tooth Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, there will be physical differences. Uh, yeah. 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 So it would make sense that there will be certain sports. Now he believes me. No, I do believe that. <laughs> I just like the, the whole sinking part. That's <laughs> just a bloop. To the water he goes. <laughs> I'm not saying. Okay. You know what? You just remind me of something. Where'd I'm saying go? it's harder for us to swim. It takes a lot more effort. Yeah. Like I can't I can't just lay on the water mm. and float. Yeah. It, I have to be doing something. Right. And it's because of my muscle density. Yeah. Well, we got, <laughs> I don't know how we got into that. I don't know, but we're definitely keeping it in. <laughs> uh, so do you see yourself living here uh, moving forward? for many years to come or do you think maybe you might go to the u.s or some other country well i see COVID has forced me to face that question mm. and uh i was really disappointed to see that there was a lot of um 
let's say anti expat support, you know, because I've been here supporting the country as as if it were my own. And now I have to pay a higher utility bill than right. than someone else. Right. So it's caused me to look at things and the way I'm trying to position myself is that I want to be able to make money in my sleep. Mm. You know, that's how rich people get rich. Passive income. Passive income that I and that might mean hiring someone to run this or diversifying the company into that. But my core revenue stream will still come from Oman. Mm. But I need to move like 30 percent, at least 30 percent of that onto an Internet based revenue. Yeah. But that means that I can be anywhere. Yeah. So I can pick up and go anywhere and still generate revenue. It's like a pattern that I've noticed in a lot of countries that go through some form of economic turmoil, right? You know, in the US, like blame the Mexicans uh, and, uh, you know, for taking our jobs, right? Or, 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 or in, in, in Europe, you might have like um, the gypsies. Yeah. I'm, I'm, my point being is when a company, uh, when a, I'm sorry, when a, when a, a country faces some economic turmoil, which we have been the last few years, um, it seems like they tend to pick on the other, whatever the other might be, you know? I have a, a, a short description for what you're describing. Mm. Every country I've been to has someone they love to hate. Mm. And it's different races, it's different nationalities. In this country, it might be Mexicans. In this country, it might be gypsies. In this country, it might be Africans. Right. But it seems to be like a generalized cultural makeup. Why, why do you think that is? Well, you kind of hit on something earlier when you said, you know, that they're taking our jobs, yeah. you know, as Mexicans. Mexicans come to the United States because the jobs that they do, no nobody wants else to. wants to do. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And one fact that a lot of people miss out on is that most of the southwestern United States used to be Mexico. Mm. It's called the Louisiana Purchase when we bought all of this land. And that's why all of the cities in the southwestern United States has uh, Mexican or Spanish names. We just pronounce it wrong. Right. Like you should be saying San Francisco. San Francisco? No. San Francisco. <laughs> that's what I said. I think San Jose. San Diego. San Jose. Los Angeles. <laughs> Los Angeles. I'm, I'm trying to give this guy a, me a Mexican <laughs> accent, and he's turned into a cowboy at a redneck bar. Like a race. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, and, and I say the um, same thing would apply here with different with different race, but same same thing. You're complaining about people taking jobs, but these are the same jobs you wouldn't want to take yourself. I strongly yeah. suggest, I mentioned him earlier, mm. I strongly suggest you discover Ralphie May. Okay. Because he has a whole set on Mexicans taking jobs mm. that will have you cracking up laughing. Okay, I definitely will check it out. One of his punchlines is, are you going to pay $50 for a salad? <laughs> right. His point is, the Mexicans will pick the vegetables for that salad, mm. and that's why it's 13 But if we use Americans, it's going to be $50 for the salad. It's the exact same thing would apply here. You know, and in a lot of places, yeah, I, people leave their home countries to find work. You know, especially the uh, those who live in countries where work is difficult to come by, and so they will, or they're willing to accept much lower salaries. And 
You know? Here's a discovery that I've made. What we consider lower salary, once you throw, go through conversion mm. and send that money back home, it's not as low as we may think it right, is. Right. It can actually do things. I mean, I've seen people here specifically because my, my fiance is Filipino, so I'm more connected to the Filipino community here. Mm. But, you know, you got this lady. She's been a housemaid here for 10 years. Now she's thinking about leaving. And it turns out she's built a house. You're right. You know, on the salary that she makes, you know, she's built a house that she owns the land and the house. All right, cool. Different standard of living, different. Yeah. 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 So they're doing something right. Yeah. Well, Joe Sims, thank you so much for joining me today on Ain't Nobody Listening. Anything you would want to say before we end tonight's session? Do I get to think about it? Can we pause here? We can pause for a okay, second. Pause. I only need a second. That's distracting. Sorry. Okay, thank you very much for having me. I mean, I'd be welcome to coming back anytime. That was it. it. Are are you okay? I mean, you're just thanking me for being here and you're cracking up laughing. I'm not sure where the joke came in. Oh, yeah, we we edited that bit out? Yeah. Oh, is that what we did? Yeah, that's what I said. Break. We take a break here. I didn't think we were editing it out. Well, I gave them a sign. Break was the sign. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm gonna edit this out. Break again. (laughs) Where can people where can people find you? Thank you very much for having me. If you want to get in touch with Oman Comedy Central, you can reach us through Instagram at Oman Comedy Central or Facebook at Oman Comedy Central. And uh, look for us to join the shows. We look forward to seeing you in the front row. I'm definitely especially love to see you come back, especially with our new format. Yeah, we have a new we had to change the business model and our shows starting this month or next month are going to be free entry. Well, I'm definitely going to be joining. And then we'll be moving some around town. I'm convinced. I don't know. If Talal joins, I might not. But uh, if, <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't, I will. Um, just so that I don't feel uh, self-conscious. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming in. You were listening to Ain't Nobody Listening. You could find this episode on any podcast app. Just search for Ain't Nobody Listening and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever else you listen to podcasts. My name is Abdullah Ma'wali, and I'll catch you all on the next one. I feel that. Nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening.